Welcome to Bone to Pick, Hip Bone Music's Artist of the Month interview series. Uh, we are here at the Juilliard School in New York City, and um, I am honored to introduce and interview uh, one of the greatest trumpet players of all time in the history of the instrument, uh, Mr. Phil Smith. Phil is the principal trumpet of the New York Philharmonic, is an internationally renowned trumpet soloist, and uh, I'd kind of like to just say I have a, one personal story to start off with. Um, Phil I've, uh, has uh, played on several of my Hippo music releases, which I'm very grateful to him for doing. And a few years back, I recorded a CD called Trumpets 11. And this kind of spoke to uh, who Phil Smith is. We had uh, a different trumpet player, uh, myself, and rhythm section on every track. And a really great lineup, including Randy Brecker, Eddie Henderson, Chuck Finley, Malcolm McNabb, Jim Hines, Scott Wenholt, Ryan Kaiser, Tom Harrell, uh, a couple others that I'm, Chris Bode, probably uh, not remembering, but it was fantastic. And I would call each guy to, to tell them about the project and ask them if they'd be involved. And uh, they all said, yes, yeah, I would love to do it. And they, then they would ask who else was playing on it, and I would list. And then I'd, get, and I'd say, oh, well, by the way, Phil Smith is going to be playing. And the reaction was the same. Everybody was like, Phil Smith is playing on this? Uh, I need to get the music in advance, and uh, I, I'm going to check all this out. What day is that recorded? I want to make sure I have some practice time in advance. You, Phil Smith is on this? And it was just the funniest reaction because here are all these great players, and and the thing that captivated them the most is that they were going to be involved with Phil Smith and his remarkable playing. So, um, Phil, thank you so much for, for being here today. I know you've got a concert in a couple hours. Um, I know your schedule is jam-packed, so uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thanks, Mike. i, I got to tell you, though, that's exactly what my impression was when I heard all the other guys. I was going, <laughs> what am I doing on this recording? So uh, I appreciate you letting me be part of that. I certainly... Uh, felt kind of strange being with such great trumpet players. Uh, well, you, your, your contribution, like everything you do, was, was remarkable. Um, maybe let's start by talking about your beginning stages of playing uh, when you were growing up. Um, I had one specific thing. I know I, like many others, consider you to have the greatest trumpet sound of, uh, of all time. It's just remarkable. And I was curious as to how that developed for you as a younger player. Uh, I know your father, Derek, was a renowned cornet soloist, and, and I assume your teacher early on, maybe you could talk about his influence on your development and uh, just that time in your life. Yeah, you know, I think it, it's, it's one thing to say that we, we, you know, we have this or that, and, and I, I don't know whether I have a great trumpet sound. I, I just have a sound that's me, mm. and to me that's just sort of a, a God-breathed sound. That's what's in my being. It's what comes out. Um, and I think perhaps for me, having started on cornet um, in uh, Salvation Army bands, playing in churches and that, you know, I always think it's best to start a kid on a cornet because his initial blat is going to come out as a blot. Mm. And mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be a more mellow, rounder sound. But I had that cornetti influence and sound that was of so much a part of what I did. And, and there was an, always a reference with my dad as a teacher and as a bandmaster at church. There was always a reference to what we were playing, that it was lyrical. And to say the words, to literally sing the words through the horn. And I think some of that goes in there as well. You start thinking in terms of R and, 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 and syllables. Uh, and, and I think that openness of sound was something that was a part of it. So the singing nature of the horn the sing and the, of the approach, the cornet, uh, obviously hearing my dad play, he had an absolutely gorgeous, beautiful sound. He still does to this day. Mm. And, mm. Uh, and I think that just sort of goes in, gets absorbed, and comes out, as I say, the way God sort of breathed it out. So. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
That's great. I can imagine being around and hearing somebody playing at that level yeah. must must have been an amazing experience yeah. as a as a young person. Yep. The, th those to have those impressions are always there. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, you're a graduate of this prestigious institute that we're uh, sitting in right now, the Juilliard School. Um, you went on to teach here uh, many years later. A couple of times, I think. Yeah. yeah. I've been in and out of teaching. Yeah. And, uh, and when you were here, you studied with uh, the great William Vacchiano. I, I did. I actually started uh, with Ed Chortle. Hmm. And I started my first three years here at Juilliard with Ed Chortle. And then I created severe tension by deciding <laughs> that for my fourth year and perhaps my one-year extension in order to get a master's here, that I would study with Vacchiano. Mm. Uh, not realizing that, that the, the controversy that that would create among the two teachers, as well as, well, it was just, it was a little bit hard. But I, when I came to school, you have to remember that when I came to school, I had been part of this brass, British brass band world playing cornet. The only trumpet playing I'd done was in high school band, and that even there, the, the uh, I played the high school trumpet, uh, the high school band director's trumpet, but I used my old, old funnel-shaped cornet mouthpiece with a shank. Wow. And, and that's what I played until I came to Juilliard. Uh, so I didn't know who Vacchiano was. I didn't know who any trumpet player was. I had no concept of orchestral brass, uh, orchestral trumpet playing at all. And, and I studied with Ed Troidel because there was another great trumpet player, young gal who had grown up in the Salvation Army, and her name is Carol Dorn Reinhardt. Mm. And she recommended to my dad, and, and that's where Ed Chortle's name came out. And so that's where the direction I went. And I'm, I'm actually very pleased that I did. I got a solid foundation with it. Mm. And then I felt that I needed to, to um, as with any teacher, sometimes you begin to hear the same things over and over again. And mm -hmm. I'm never sure mm -hmm. whether I haven't gotten it or whether there's not enough to say, <laughs> but I, I felt I needed the change, and so I, I moved to Vacchiano to get more of an orchestral approach and that. But I think I got the best out of those five years with three with Ed and two with Bill. Mm. Um, it, it, and then it, that helped make me who I am, as well as then where I went from there. Mm. Well, that isn't, I did not know that about uh, you. you came in basically new to orchestral playing and new yeah. to trumpet, the actual trumpet. I mean, obviously you had a lot of skill as a cornet yeah. player, but that's uh, I, a quick, remarkable. A quick story about that. Uh, I was taking my orchestral edition here at Juilliard with Jean Morel. He was in the room, and he put up on the stand Peter and the Wolf. And, of course, Peter and the Wolf is, I now know, is trumpet in C. And I just looked at the music, and I, Peter and the Wolf didn't mean anything to me. The music <laughs> looked kind of simple, and I played what I saw. And he went berserk and started yelling in sort of this thick French <laughs> English. And no, no, no. And he started saying these syllables like do, re, mi, fa, so. And I didn't know what the heck he was talking about. And, but, and then I left the room. Now I know what he was talking about. I was playing it on a B-flat trumpet as I saw it instead of in C. And he was going berserk and couldn't understand why I didn't understand that. So, consequently, I didn't play an orchestra for the first two years here at Juilliard. <laughs> Well, that's good, uh, important advice for our, our viewers. So if you have somebody start screaming at you in the middle that's of an right. audition, it could still work out great. Yeah, just, uh, just press forward. <laughs> keep going. Um, well, you were still a student at Juilliard in 1975 when you uh, were appointed to the Chicago Symphony by uh, Sir George uh, Schulte, um, an astounding accomplishment by, by any measure, and especially considering the fact that you were, uh, had just a few years uh, that you just shared with us about uh, new to orchestral music. Um, what was it like becoming a member of that 
great brass section at such an early age, and, and specifically, uh, what was it like working with the great Bud Herseth? I mean, for me, I was doing my master's program at that time, and it was, you know, it was now time to start thinking beyond school. And so I tried to get auditions at a few orchestras. The first, the only orchestra that let me play, I won't name all the others that rejected me, but the only one that <laughs> let me play was Chicago Symphony. And I went there strictly to find out what an audition was like. So there was nobody more shocked than I was that I went through the system. And when I came out, it was like, Phil who? Where did this person <laughs> come from? And I was, I was a total, as Bud Herseth used to say, uh, he used to refer to me as a greenhorn. And I was totally a greenhorn. I didn't know one side of the trumpet to the other. But uh, they took a chance on me. And for me, it was, it was the best thing that I could have done at that point to come out of the school experience, to go sit in the Chicago Symphony, to know that they had trust in the fact that I could do this, even though it might take me a little bit to get, get caught together. Uh, but then to just, to, I, to, I used to position my chair as four trumpets so I could just watch down the line and just watch and listen and absorb the whole thing. Uh, that time Jacobs was uh, the tuba player and Clevenger was uh, principal horn in his prime and, and Friedman was principal trombone and they were just great. The, the trumpet section was Herseth, um, Charlie Geyer, um, and who had moved from fourth to second, which is how I got in, and Bill Scarlett. And I just, it was such a great experience to see that and to be a part of that whole thing with Schulte. Mm. So. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow, what a, what a great story. And I mean, in addition to just being captivated by what you just said, I think what you, you just capsulated the whole thing. You were listening and you were open yeah. to everything. And that's got to be part like of what, sponge, yeah. what has led to your greatness yeah. is you're just open and, and, you're, and you're listening. That's, that's an amazing story. Um, well, then you assumed the position of co-principal trumpet in the New York Philharmonic just a few years later in 1978 and then went on to become principal trumpet uh, in 1988. Um, can you share some of your memories about returning to New York and, and uh, beginning what would become such a successful tenure here in the New York Philharmonic? A, it was frightening. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually very happy in Chicago. Um, Charlie Gaia had, had uh, wanted to move on from Chicago and get a first trumpet job, and so he moved on to um, Houston Symphony as first trumpet. So for my last few months in Chicago, I was playing a lot of second to Herseth, and I loved that. I, uh, I just had such a great working relationship with him. He was like a father to me. Bud could be temperamental. And I just, I'd grown up in a home uh, of stiff upper lipped Englishmen. And so I knew when to be quiet and when not to say anything and just keep my ears open and do my part. And, but I learned from him a lot. And, I, and he also was a great encourager. There were so many times when he'd just say words of encouragement that just lifted me up. And I, I remember when the opportunity came to come to New York, he said, you know, you, you need to do this. You need to try this. He says, you'll always wonder if you don't do it. Mm. But I remember saying to him, but I'm, I'm happy just playing here. And he says, you'll always wonder whether you miss something. Mm. So I think you should do it. Mm. And uh, he gave me a couple of coaching sessions and off I came and I played. And again, that was my second audition. And here I am now principal, co-principal in New York. And you come here, and it, it was a bit of a shock it, in, in a lot of different ways, some that weren't very pleasant, to be mm. honest. And, um, 
but I just, I guess there was just something in me that, again, my nature or just who I am as, as God has created me that was able to take all of that and all of the rough bits and work through it and just keep pressing on. And I can't believe that at this point I've been playing first trumpet in, for 34 years at the mm -hmm. Philharmonic. It, it was co-principal position, um, basically, because that was a position that Jerry Schwartz and Johnny Ware had at that time, that I, Jerry moved on to conduct, and I came into that co-principal position. But I did a lot of, a lot of work as, mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. principal player, and so um, it, it, in no way, shape, or form was it sort of half the job. Um, it, it was a lot of the job, and it was a lot of pressure as a young guy to sit here and and f learn how to become a principal player. I didn't know it all when I came here, and I certainly had help from a lot of people, a lot of colleagues who, again, were encouraging to me. Um, and it's been a process, mm. but here I am 34 years later. So. Did you, uh, considering the success you had with the audition in Chicago, when you took the audition in New York, did you feel like, I got a shot at this, I'm one for one, why not go two for two? <laughs> it, it, the whole audition experience was a very tough audition experience. Um, it, uh, it involved another player and, and, and we went back and forth, on and off the stage, playing and playing and playing and playing. And I finally said, this has to stop, I got to catch a plane back to Chicago, <laughs> I got a rehearsal in the morning. And, and then there was a long, as I remember, there was a long delay before I finally got a call from James Chambers to say, we're going to offer you the position. What all went on in that time, I don't know and I don't really want to know. Uh, <laughs> but it, I must say that I did go home thinking, doggone it, does it have to be this hard? Wow. And I wasn't quite, when he called to offer me the position, I wasn't really of a mind to take it. I kind of thought, I'm not sure if I want to get into this New York thing. I grew up in New York. I know what New York is like. I kind of like Chicago. I like playing second to Bud. I'm kind of comfy, comfy here. But, but again, I just I heeded the words of Bud, and, and I, I took the chance and came and did it. I'm glad I did. Wow, that's amazing. Well, it's great that uh, Bud Hurst, obviously he knew what your talents, and then it felt like giving you a little nudge to, I to, got a to make that move. Tremendous respect for him. And I know now how hard it is to play the position. Mm -hmm. And I know what that does to you as a person. And I know the angst that it can put you in and the, the tension that it can get you in and, and how we all relieve tension in different ways. And so I know that sometimes Bud could be a little feisty and he could be a, you know, he could have a bark. Mm. But I also saw a side of him that was so encouraging mm -hmm. uh, that I'll always have tremendous respect for him. Mm. That's great. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, you know, we could probably spend the entire interview just talking about your 34 years here in the orchestra, but uh, um, if, it's, if it's even possible, can you maybe just share three or four of your favorite memories or experiences or performances uh, of your time here in the, in the Philharmonic? It's so hard, you know, when I'm thinking about that, it's hard for me to pick favorite performances, per se. There's, I mean, we go through so much stuff, and I'll be honest with you that not all of the performances are are fun. Sometimes they're kind of hectic, <laughs> and I come out like this. And I've, I've I've learned to just let try to let them go as best I can. But I, I think if I have to think about my tenure here at the Philharmonic, I think a couple of things. Um, I think of of the touring that we've done. I feel like uh, I've joined the New York Philharmonic, and I've had the opportunity to see the world. Mm -hmm. And that is such such a blessing such a blessing to, uh, to be a part of this great orchestra and to travel around the world and see all of that. 
Um, I think of uh, my first music director was Zubin, um, who was just such a, uh, a happy, encouraging person to work with. It seemed like any time that there was a trumpet solo, he'd look back at me with this grin like, this is going to be great. And I would go, okay, <laughs> and let it fly. And, and he was so encouraging. And I, man, I just, uh, that was such a great experience. I, I'll, I'll always remember him. And that transfers to uh, the first concerto that I did with, with the Philharmonic here was the Tomasi trumpet concerto. And he was such a great conductor to work with. He, he stuck to me like glue. I didn't have to worry about what he was doing. And again, it was just such a positive experience. Um, and then, let's see, what else? Uh, That's, uh, just to add one thing, it's like, for all the, I'm not in the orchestral world, but I have so many friends and, and, and work with so many folks who are, what a great story, because most of the time it's not uh, affinity for the people standing on the podium and, and, and making you feel like they're going to get the best out of you. So what a wonderful yeah. story that, uh, that yeah. Subin made, a, had that quality about him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and having worked with so many great conductors, you know, just, just a litany of terrific conductors and to be able to listen to them and hear what they say and absorb it into your playing and, uh, it's just been great. Mm. It's been really terrific. That's amazing. Um, well, this is also an extension of, our, of talking about the New York Philharmonic, but having worked with all three of you over the years, um, it's always amazed me how, uh, to many people's estimation, and certainly mine, the three finest principal brass players in the world uh, all ended up in the same orchestra at the same time, namely yourself, Phil Myers, and, and Joe Alessi. Um, can you talk about your relationship with Joe and Phil and, and you know, just what it's been like working together, the three of you, for, for three decades now? First of all, I'd, I'd, I'll just say I don't think we think of ourselves as the three whatever. <laughs> we just think of ourselves as three amigos. And, uh, and it's just, I think we're all, we're, I think I can speak for all of us in, at this moment and, and say that I think we're all here individually trying to just do the best we can. Hmm. And like any great thing, when I was just talking about conductors or, or players, I think we feed off of each other. We each bring something to the, to the game that perhaps the other one might be lacking. Um, for instance, with, with Myers, um, I think when, I, when he came, I think what he, what he brought to my game was, was a, a greater awareness of rhythmic uh, intensity and, and fitting in rhythm-wise, and, and that was something that perhaps was loose in my own playing that I felt that he was sort of so solid in that, it, it, it made me become more aware of that thing. Mm. Uh, for Joe, there's a, a freedom in his playing and, and, a, uh, and a song and a sound and, uh, and, a, and a, uh, a confidence in his spirit. That, that I need to latch on to. I'm not always the most self-confident of people. Hmm. Uh, and so I latch onto that. And I think we all bring something to this game that, that again, for me and from my faith, my world, faith worldview, it's no chance that we're here. Hmm. We've been plunked here. Uh, we've had to learn to get along with each other because we're very different people. And, and I think we've done that. I think at the end of the day, 
I'm just tremendously grateful for the opportunity to work with both of those guys. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. I've been fortunate, of course, to work with you guys uh, uh, collectively and individually, and, and I've heard you many times, and it's just astounding. I mean, you guys work together so well. I mean, the, the playing is just, it's like a well-oiled machine. It's always, uh, it's always great to hear you guys, really mm -hmm. tremendous. Well, if you if you took away all your work with the New York Philharmonic and just looked at your body of work as a soloist, that unto itself is is quite impressive. Um, can you share some of your your thoughts and and some of the highlights of of your vast solo career? We were trying to figure out how many solo CDs you've made before the uh, before the interview started, and we couldn't come up with a number. So it's obviously a lot. Um, and uh, I know you know the, the the solo playing that I've heard you do is just spectacular. So um, maybe just share your thoughts about how you know how that maybe is different from your playing in the orchestra, and then maybe some of the highlights of of, of your solo career. I was fortunate again in that brass band world of being sort of the band's soloist, and so I had the opportunity all through school when I played with the New York Staff Band of the Salvation Army, you know, once a month we would be away and I'd get to stand up and play. So, so that experience was very beneficial to me uh, of being a soloist, of putting myself up in front of people. It probably also helped a lot with auditions. It mm -hmm. gave me that mm -hmm. confidence there. Solo playing is very, very different. I even just did something recently uh, with uh, the Hart School of Music, the, the Wind Symphony up there and the orchestra up there, a tribute concert to us. Uh, a composer that's retiring from there, Stephen Gritch. And uh, I played one of his pieces up there, and I also played um, one of Joe Turin's new pieces uh, that was just written for the Ellsworth Smith competition that had just happened, and I sort of was one of the first guys to get to do it after mm. that. Um, and it's a very different thing. The whole approach is different. It's, I, it, it takes me a while now, especially, to get into it again, to sort of pull myself back and refine myself out and, and play in a very, in a, I'm going to say in a smaller space, I don't mean that in a negative way, but sort of play, my louds aren't as louds and, and, and my, my softs can be a little more comfortable, but I, I'm in this, this place that's just a much more, uh, I have to learn to play in that comfortable place. The orchestra pushes me out into areas that are, are are demanding in a different way in terms mm. of sound and, and breadth of sound and power and stuff like that, as all, and also softness uh, and balancing with, with other, other instrumental things. But being a, a, a soloist is a very, very different thing, and, and you cannot play both of those roles the same. Um, and I'll, I'll relate it as well to a little bit like with Winton. I think when Winton came on the scene and he was doing classical solos and his jazz experience, and he was able to work those two things, I thought, marvelously. Mm -hmm. But after a while, he sort of made a decision to lessen one and go with the other. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I think that's, you've got to be, I've, I have to be careful now. I have to, when I'm doing a solo, I have to give myself time to get into the soloist mentality and and get there. And then I find when I come back to the orchestra, it takes me another week to sort of break out of that and become mm. back to the orchestral mm. player again. Two different, very different games. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. I, I wouldn't, I, I could almost see it going toward the solo thing would be a transition, but then there is a transition going back as well. You would think you just revert back immediately, but like you're saying, For there's, me, there's yeah. a transition. I find it just embouchure-wise, just, just, you know, the amount of air that I'm putting through the horn 
has a tendency to push the embouchure out, and I've got to make sure I'm keeping it. Uh, when I get back in the orchestra, keeping it together and all of that. It's it's a very different game for me. Mm-hmm. Um, this next question, it almost it almost seems like we've kind of answered it, but I think I think maybe we could even talk about it a little bit more. Um, you're obviously a brass band enthusiast and a and a performer, and it's in your blood. You know, it's, it sounds like from such an early age. Um, what is it? In addition to being around it and it being such a part of you, that what what is it that gives you that affinity for that particular ensemble? Again, I think it's just something that I was that that was my first love. It's what I did. I, as a mm. little kid, I wanted to be in the junior band, and then I wanted to get in the senior band and play that great <laughs> music. And and the whole cornetti thing, being in a in a brass band, a very cornet. And I, I often talk about this, even from an orchestral section, but in a, in a, in a brass band, you, you've got four or five guys on the front bench, the solo cornet role, and, and you're five individuals, five fingers, but you've got to always be playing as if you're one palm. And the sound, you have to meld your five sounds together, and that was something I'd always found fun to do. Mm. And you could have very five different, very different players sonically, and that 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 combination of those five makes one beautiful sound. Mm. And uh, so I've I've always loved that brass band. Thing. I love the repertoire. I love the challenge of the repertoire. Um, I love the cornet. Even now, I love sticking my trumpets aside and getting on the cornet and just playing. I love the the freedom and the 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 wholeness of the sound. And not so much the brassiness of the sound, but just this this beautifulness. I also I tend to flow towards flugelhorn. I love that for a lot mm. of lyrical mm-hmm. things. So that whole brass band thing to me is is a lot of things. There's some great brass band programs in the United States too. If kids are looking for that, JMU's got a great brass band program. Mm. Cent- uh, that's James Madison University. Um, Central Michigan University's got a great program. North Texas State's got a great brass band program. There's some wow, great brass band wow. programs out there. And uh, the negative is you'll never make money playing in a brass band. Mm. Uh, so get real. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but if you love to play in brass bands, there's a lot of good amateur brass bands around the area, even uh-huh. in New York here. Uh-huh. And the whole North American Brass Band Association is uh, just a neat thing. There's, yeah. there's a lot of brass bands just popping up, a lot of enthusiasm for it. Yeah, that's very cool. I like. I can tell the passion you have for it just in the way you were describing that, and it's great. And I, I love the analogy that you're talking about with five fingers into a palm. I mean, that that can carry over into any to any type of right. uh, playing. It's a right. great great way to look at it. And clearly, you know, as we touched on earlier, your your ability to listen all the time, and even when you're playing principal trumpet, I know you listen constantly. Mm-hmm. So that's a great for all of our our listeners today that's something if phil smith is listening we uh, we all need to be listening so take to heed those words uh, carefully i'd like to play a little just name association with you with a few of the conductors that you've worked with over the years maybe just a couple memories or a thought about uh, each one um we already talked about zubin made and, and his great spirit um but let's start with uh, sir george schulte uh, oh schulte was uh Precise. If I had to give a quick word, it'd be precise, precision, and uh, old school. Very proud. And one thing I always enjoyed working with him. He spoke in a thick Hungarian accent and say, "My dears." He always referred to the orchestra as <laughs> his dears, my dears. It says pianissimo, safety first. 
He didn't want you to play so soft that you missed it. He always gave you the little option to have safety first. Wow. And, uh, but, uh, but, but, bah. You know, he could subdivide and you felt that everything, the way he gave you an upbeat before the downbeat. If you had a soft, a, a soft entrance on something, you, before it, you'd get three, four. So you knew exactly where the rhythm was for that downbeat. Wow. And, and that's what I love that about him. Wow, that's great. That must have been exhilarating, uh, coming right out of school, and then oh. that, this is the first guy you end up working it was big for. Time. I, one quick story about Schulte. We would do in uh, Zarathustra, one of my, my, it might have been my first week. I think it was my first week there. Uh, actually, the first concert I ever, the first thing I ever did with Chicago Symphony was a concert in Milwaukee, a run-out concert. I phoned Herseth on a Sunday night, said, I'm in town. What do I do? He says, tomorrow night, Monday night, we have a run out to Milwaukee. He says, you come, you're going to play uh, assistant second. It could be double on the Tchaikovsky uh, uh, symphony. So I did that. It was the first thing I, I played up there. And my heart was beating. My first professional thing was playing a concert with Chicago Symphony. The next week was Zarathustra. Every trumpet player in school knows. Everyone knows that. But nobody ever watches and studies. Which is the third and fourth trumpet part. That's the part I had to play. So I hear. And then I'm looking at my music and I'm thinking, where the heck is the beat? I just couldn't find where the beat was in the thing. And I couldn't, and I missed it. And Schulte went back and found some reason to go back and do it again, went through it, and I still didn't get it. It was not together. I, was, I played it, but it wasn't together. And he went back again, and this time, the third time, he says, come along, fourth trumpet. At which point, <laughs> my heart went into my stomach. <laughs> and I leaned real close to Bill Scarlett, and as soon as I heard him go, I went, ta da ta da <laughs> And it happened to be together, so we got by that. And I then went home and looked at the bar and figured out where the beats were in the bar, because I couldn't figure it out. Ah, oh, talk about Greenhorn, that was me. But anyway, that was true. Well, thanks for sharing that story, and I'm sure that if, for all of uh, listening, you know, if everybody experiences that. So if Phil Smith experiences it, it's okay, you just got to fix it, right? Yeah, fix it's just, it, get it done. Get, get it, uh, come along, as you yeah. said, right? Um, let's keep it with a couple more names, uh, Kurt Mazur. Kurt Mazur, old school, stern face, Germanic, man, um, feisty. You had to be careful not to let him get the better of you psych-wise. Um, he, he, was, he was a hard guy, but I loved his music making, especially his Germanic repertoire, his Beethoven, uh, that, 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 that music. He, and the other thing I loved about him was whenever we did choral works, he, he had a great affinity for doing choral works. He, he just, he dove into the theme of the piece and uh, was able to pull that out of the chorus and, to, and the way he balanced the orchestra and all of that, I just, I love that about him. Hmm. He was a hard guy hmm. and, uh, and, and, he, and there were times I think that he could, he got the better of people and hmm. that, was, that was hard. Uh, but in some way, I found him exhilarating to work for. Hmm. And then um, the maestro who I believe followed was uh, Lauren Mazel. Yeah, a, a professional, absolute professional. Stick technique. He could give you every 16th if you needed it. Uh, <laughs> he, he was a professional, professional. Whereas with Mazur, 
sometimes you wondered as you played something, am I going to get a look that says I'm wrong? <laughs> With Mazel, he trusted you, and there would be times when he would turn away and just and he just trusted you to do. He he knew that as long as he showed it, you would be there. Mazor didn't have the greatest technique in terms of conducting and cleanliness that way, but Mazel was very pristine and very professional. Um, and yeah, that, that was just a nice a nice mm. change. Mm. There's that always a reason when you have Mater to Mazor to Mazel to Gilbert. There's a reason why those people are there. And it always has to do with who the predecessor was. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, because of the working relationship and things like that, then that affects who's then going to come. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, you know, the, this story you shared earlier about Zubin Mehta, that must have been quite a transition then to go from a guy who was that giving and basically wanted everything to go well, you know, yeah. to somebody who's more, uh, you know, a little more a little demanding. More demanding. Yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting. And let's let's finish up. Uh, I heard you perform an all Copeland concert with this gentleman. It was spectacular, and I know you worked with him a lot. But Leonard Bernstein. Oh, Lenny Bernstein. I was so pleased when I first came. We weren't seeing very much of Lenny, uh, and then he started to come, and I was so pleased about that because you can't talk about New York Philharmonic without Lenny Bernstein. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. ham and eggs. Uh, Oreos and milk. <laughs> I mean, it's just the, the two go together. And and great. He was an enigma. I guess that's if I had to put a word to Lenny Bernstein, it's an enigma. Because um, he was this great musician um, and a great conductor, great pianist, a great communicator, um, great composer. And yet, sometimes it was tough figuring him out, and mm. and his his uh, who he was as a person would sometimes conflict with who he was as a musician, and and that that was there. But but I loved working with him. He was a lovely man, mm. a lovely man. Uh, he scared me. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember standing in the elevator in the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo on my first tour with. With Lenny Bernstein, it was, a it was a tour. We did a live Shostakovich Five recording, and I'm standing in the elevator, and all this hustle and bustle in the lobby as Lenny Bernstein comes to wearing his black hat and his black cape, and as the cape flares out, it's red underneath, and he's walking right towards the elevator and all the entourage with him. And I'm going, oh great! <laughs> and uh, he walked in the elevator and he looked at me. He was just a little guy, and he came up to me and he grabbed my cheek and he says my little first trumpet player. <laughs> and I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> but, you know, he, I had such tremendous respect for him as a musician and, and that you never played anything that you just didn't feel he was giving it 100% of himself. Not everything worked. Sometimes a little less of him in the piece might have been good. Mm. But mm. you knew that he was giving it the best he could. And he loved another quick story. Uh, the Philharmonic Brass Quintet did a concert in Tanglewood with the Canadian Brass and the BSO Brass. And we went up there early and I took my family uh, in and we were in the shed as he was, as Lenny was finishing a rehearsal with the kids. And I said to my wife, and I said, come on, let's, let me introduce you and the kids to Maestro. So I took him up and, and he was most gracious. I introduced Maestro, this is my wife, and he shook her hand and, 
and uh, my son, uh, who was six at the time, and and I, he was so nice. He, on the, he shook Brian's hand and just greeted him lovely. And I said, and then my daughter, she was three at the time, and he reached down. And he wanted to oh, and he wanted to give her. He gave her a hug. Of course, he was sweating. Um, <laughs> he gave her a hug. Oh, it's lovely to meet you. And when he pulled back, she went yuck. <laughs> <laughs> And I was mortified, and, but he laughed and laughed and laughed, and he spoke about that numerous times. He loved kids. He loved family. He, and, and he felt like the orchestra was his family as well. That was an extension of his family, and, and uh, that's just who he was. He was such a lovely guy in wow. that sense. Those are great stories, yeah. Phil. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. That's amazing. Um, well, just changing a, a little bit of direction here. Um, if you you've you've recorded so many CDs, both uh, as a chamber ensemble player, as brass band player, as in the Philharmonic, if you had to if you had to pick a few and just say this is my favorite work that I've done, is is it possible you could uh, share a no. few of those with us, or is it, it, it really too isn't, much? Chris, I, I I'll be honest with you, I hardly ever listen to my stuff because <laughs> it it I just I don't know I I. I want to do the best I can. I do the best that I can on it, and 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 life changes. You know, <laughs> one of the problems is you listen to something that you did a while ago. If you're preparing a solo now or something, you're preparing something now, and you listen to something you did 10, 15, 20 years ago, and you're thinking, shoot, I could play it then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so you know, but. Uh, so, no, I, it, it's hard for me to pick out those things. I am proud of a few things. I am proud of the, um, the, the Collar uh, CD that I did. It, the, the, collar, the record label Collar came in with all the principal players from the film I did one. Mm. Oh, yeah, and, I remember And this. I'm really, I am pleased with that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really worked hard at that and wanted every item on the CD to be a statement you know, I wanted it to be the best that it could be, but I also wanted it to be a listening CD because mm. to me, program's important, and, mm -hmm. and I just uh, and I think we captured the right balance there. Um, I'm proud of the the uh, concerts, the concert. Uh, what do they call it? Contest solos. One that I did with ITG, uh, supposedly easier solos for the young trumpet player. <laughs> that was one of the hardest CDs I ever did. Those solos were so easy I couldn't play them, and. Uh, and uh, the excerpt CD, well, that was groundbreaking, and and other people have gone on to, to do great things. Mike Sachs has just put out a product now that's really great, and in, in in in, you know, technology has changed and, and that, and it's great. But I was I was proud of what I did in that, and, and again, I think got the right balance of not too deep into the teaching aspect of it, but able to give some little tidbit of information that would help and then to play it. Mm. Um, th those, so I, I was proud of those. I'm also proud of the of some of the things that I've done. Um, again, just again from my my worldview as a as a Christian, just I love some of the you know the world's greatest hymns CD that I have. Mm. Nothing fancy, mm -hmm. but just uh, stuff that speaks to my heart and mm -hmm. comes from my heart, and mm -hmm. I love that and. Obviously, the few things my wife and I have done, we had a, a gospel group called Resounding Praise, and, and uh, just to be able to do something with your wife, you know, she's a singer, and that, that, that sharing of talents and, and, and help, you know, lifting each other up musically to, to give something 
that's coming from the gifts that God has given to you, but then using them to your best ability to honor the, honor the Lord mm -hmm. back mm -hmm. again. Those are things that I'm very proud of. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, Phil, you, you've you've been uh, you've been a tremendous inspiration to everybody who's gotten a chance to work with you. I know when you played on several of my projects, uh, just the musicianship you bring to it, and it it takes the music to a place that, as a, as a writer and as a producer, I was not anticipating. And and I know everybody who gets a chance to work with you feels that way about uh, about your work. Um, you've you've nurtured a lot of younger players, uh, and and in particularly even the section right now with the New York Philharmonic, the young young folks that I'm sure, just like you got a lot out of Hurst, I'm sure they get a ton uh, sitting next to you. Um, as we as we kind of wrap up here today, if you if you I always ask this question to the great artists we are fortunate to talk to. Um, if you had a piece of advice or a little bit of advice to offer to young folks today that, that want to become musicians or in particular want to become a, a, an orchestral trumpet player, um, what would if you could capsulize it down to a, a quick thought? What 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 might that advice be? Um. I think if I think about my dad, his, what I heard in my dad in his playing, what I heard from him in his teaching of the band or teaching me in a lesson, what continued with Ed Troidel in his bel canto teaching style. Um, what I heard in great trumpet players like Herseth, Andre, um, and other numerous greats, um, and what's always sort of been in, impressed on me, again, coming out of my, uh, my experience as a Christian and hymnody and all of that, the tying together of lyric and song, I think the, word, the one simple thing that I would say to any young kid is sing, mm. sing, sing. Let, let song be the guide because all the technical things, and we do have to talk about those, those will all be fixed if it's coming out sounding songful, if, if, if it's sounding beautiful. Mm. Um, if, the if, if you're trying to articulate or pronounce each, each note in a songful manner and tying that together, then the articulation is right and the usage of the air is right and all of that. So sing, sing, sing. Uh, there's, a, there's a scripture verse that I often use in a master class, uh, Ephesians, from the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter, 19th and 20th uh, verses, and it says, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord mm -hmm. and give thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks to God the Father for the gift that he's given you, the ability that he's given you, the enjoyment you get out of playing. Give that back to him and sing and make music in your heart because that will be what communicates with other people. Mm -hmm. All the other stuff is filigree. Mm. And it all, you, you work in it and you and try to improve it, but it's that singing thing. So in all things, sing. Mm. That's a wonderful piece of advice. And uh, um, Phil, I just want to thank you so much for taking time out. I know you're getting thank ready you, to Mike. play a Mahler one tonight to have a great concert. Yeah, thanks. thanks for, again, for the inspiration and for 
setting the bar so high for all of us to uh, to strive to, uh, Mike, to come th up to that. Thank you. Thanks for letting me be a part of some of the, the projects that you've oh. been a part of. It's been a thrill for me to do that. So well, that's I, very I appreciate it. Oh, that's very generous of you to thank me. I, sh I thank, thank you. you. It's been terrific. But uh, thanks, thanks so much, Phil. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time on Bone to Pick.